Welcome to the No Degree Podcast. This is your host, Janaid Iqbal, and today's guest is Jack Rowell. Jack talks about his real estate experience, learn about his ups and downs, and what it takes to be a successful realtor. Learn what the life is like, and figure out if it's right for you. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. And remember, this show is impossible without you. Let's get the show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today, I have Jack Rowell on today's episode, and he's going to talk, share a little bit about his experience. What's up, Jack? Hey, Junaid. How you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Living in San Diego, brother. I'm fine. Tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Been in real estate since uh, I was selling caves. Uh, been in it for like 20 some odd years. Uh, started doing flips where the flips were done right, and done properly, but we didn't make hardly any money because you got to buy them correctly. But uh, after that, I got the real estate bug and I've been in real estate ever since. What attracted you to real estate? I would think mostly that it's an actual business that you can... It's not like doing stocks or anything where you're just pushing paper or pushing digital things here and there. You actually can get your hands on something. You can beautify something. Uh, you can make something better. You know, the freedom to be your own boss is attractive. Uh, but once you get into it, you find out that now all your clients are your boss. So you traded one boss for hopefully thousands of bosses. The freedom and the ability to, to help people is a big deal too. Um, when you get a first time home buyer into a house and you see their face, that's magic. I, I dig that a lot. You know, helping people in bad situations get out of those that, that's, uh, I like that also. And just being able to be creative within the boundaries of a contract, all, all the types of reasons I, I dig real estate. How did you get started in real estate? Goodness, it was probably 97. I started doing flips with my buddy. What's up, Mark Allen? We bought four houses and we should have lost money, but the market was going up at the time. And because uh, we did everything wrong, we did, you know, we held them too long. We tried to fix them up too much. Uh, we hired the wrong guys. So we had to fire them and hire new guys. We did everything wrong and still ended up making a little bit of money. Just again, the market saved us. From that, I just, you know, fell in love with real estate. I just dig it. You got into real estate. What advice would you have for people who are interested in real estate? Go into it with your eyes open. You know, you're going to work. It's not, and people will tell you, oh, it's easy. It's not an easy business. It's, it's very hard. It's hard to get clients. It's hard to keep clients and the actual contract, the actual guts of real estate is tricky. And you have, you're in charge of people's nest eggs and you're in charge of people's assets. It's a very, very important job and you could really screw people over if you're not watching your P's and Q's. So uh, don't come into the business thinking you're going to be able to work like you do at your job. <laughs> You're going to have to really work. What are some mistakes that people make that you see in terms of, you mentioned how a lot of people get in because they think it's easy. What type of people do you normally see fail in real estate because they get in with a certain idea and then you look at them and you're like, all right, you're going to be out in six months. Well, you know, most people fail in real estate. 
it's a very low success rate that people that start in real estate are there a couple of years later. It's just, it's hard. It's the rejection is, it can be crippling when your in-law or friend uses another realtor that could just crush your relationship and hurt your feelings. And so go into it with your eyes open, get ready to work, forgive your friends and family that don't understand how things work and that they should use you because there's going to be a percentage that don't and it's man it makes a very uncomfortable family reunion uh so it's going to be on you to be the big person and let that go people say don't take it personal but it's hard to do when it's happening to you <laughs> you know so uh get ready to work get ready to work get ready to get your feelings hurt that's great advice now when you started how did you sort of grow up in the industry, how do you sort of move and learn more things? Like, what would you say? What advice would you have for someone entering outside of the keep your eyes open? How would someone grow? You got to keep in mind that you're going to stay growing, that you're going to stay learning. Um, when I first started, I, I got very lucky with a couple of deals that um, I just answered the phone at the office and they wanted to buy something. And that probably would have ruined me in a lot of different situations where I would have thought, okay, that's the way to do it. For whatever reason, it scared me um, that I could just see that that's not a sustainable way to get uh, to lead generate. That's not a, that's not a legitimate way to, to get business. And so from there, I took some courses and one of them was working by referral. And so that's how I generally do my work or get my clients is, hey, my aunt wants to sell a house, Jack, go sell her house for her. You know, it's that kind of thing. And I nurture those uh, relationships. I, I keep up with people. I do those sort of things to keep things moving, to keep my, um, the pipes uh, loaded. What caused a lot of your success is referrals. When did you, you learn that early on in your career? The first year, yeah. Right. It was during my first deal. You know, people were like, oh, Jack, you're so lucky you got that deal. It just scared me. I was like, you know, if this isn't, I need something else to get more clients because that's not going to be around. Yeah, that's definitely true. How has real estate sort of changed from when you started in 97 to now? Because I now I see all these, you know, they I seen VR in real estate where you could pretty much see the house without ever stepping inside. There's like drone videography and, you know, online has really changed the game. How has it really changed since when you started? Uh, well, the computers have got a ton better, you know, and so the MLS really when it started, it was <laughs> it was like playing Pong. It was slow and and you know, I don't even think there might not even been pictures on there. I'm not sure. So yes, it's evolved to the point where, you know, just like everything on the internet, people have access to it. So a lot of times people think they know better and they read an article by somebody who might not have known what they're talking about, or maybe they're from a different state or different area where it doesn't apply. But I, I spend a lot of time correcting improper or incorrect information, just like lenders that got to with, you know, they see all these die tech commercials and misinformation is the biggest thing I deal with, with my people, because they, they read a little blurb in the, the a title of an article from the newspaper 
recession coming. Uh, you know, that's a big thing. Recession's coming, recession coming. Okay, what does that mean? Does that mean our prices are going to drop like they did last time? Not necessarily. You know, the last five recessions we had, only two times did prices go down. And one of those times, it was like a half a percent or something like that. Uh, people remember our last recession because it was a big deal. But most recessions aren't like that. Yes, p- keep learning people, keep reading the paper, but make sure you quantify it with a professional. You know, don't read an article on brain surgery and think you can do brain surgery. Go talk to a virgin. You know? No, makes sense. So you mentioned several times, keep your eyes open. Can you expand on that? What does that mean for a real estate agent to keep their eyes open? Well, I can't even remember what the context I put it in, but a a bunch of ways you should keep your eyes open. Um, When you're looking out for your client, keep your eyes open. You know, that's your job to protect their interest. So if you're a buyer's agent, make sure that the house is a good place for them to buy. Make sure it's a good situation. Make sure the comps are there. Do your due diligence and investigate that house, investigate the value, investigate the area. Make sure it fits what your people want. Representing the seller, same thing. Make sure that you're screening the buyers coming in. Can they really afford to buy the house? Make sure uh, your sellers know what they're going to do with the money. A lot of times people get into an escrow because they think it's a good time to sell, or you know, the papers told them it's a good time to sell. They get into the escrow and they're going to sell their place, and they don't have a plan to what to do with the money. That's a bad situation. Now you're either going to buy another house, and if you do a lateral move, that's really a loss. You know, you should be going up, you should be going down, you should be doing something different than just moving next door into the same kind of house. Uh, otherwise, you're just paying fees on the people that make out of the realtors. Uh, keep your eyes open for that. Keep your eyes open for how the industry and how the market is changing. Um, you mentioned the internet and how that's changing things. Realtors, you better pay attention. Things are changing. Absolutely. People are more knowledgeable, but they're also, they have tons of knowledge. Some of it don't belong in there. So you're going to have to deal with that and keep your eyes open on new ways to improve yourself, new ways to lead generate, uh, new ways to market. But yeah, you you have to keep your head on a swivel in real estate. I, I suppose that's in other industries too, but you really have to keep your head on a swivel and be aware of your surroundings, you know, because it's not, you're not just protecting yourself, you're protecting your clients too. It's a big deal when you're dealing with that much money, a place where people are going to raise their kids. Thank you for that helpful information. Now, what advice would you have for people? Who would you tell not to get into real estate? Because these are the people you've seen routinely, just they come in and they leave. People that know better. People that, and not saying you should take everybody's advice. Matter of fact, you should take a small amount of people's advice. But the people that come in and think they can't learn anything, that they don't need to learn anything, you might as well just get out. You know, you got to learn stuff constantly all the time. Um, you got to keep sharpening your own saw, your your mental state. But you also got to got to know the contract. You know, there's so many realtors that don't know the contract. It's shameful. You know, this is that's the big part of our job is protecting people within the contract, and that changes every year. And so there's no don't think that. You could come into real estate and just do good. 
you can do good. There's plenty of people that do good. There's plenty of people that do good early in their career. They get busy and they learn. Um, and they talk to people that have been there. Um, and they go to seminars and they, they live the real estate life. Can you expand on the real estate life? Because you mentioned that you learn different ways through courses. What other ways do you learn and expand on the real estate life? I watch YouTube every day on something on either how to do better videos, how to get people to watch whatever, better content, editing. Um, I do all kinds of stuff that because I do a lot of real estate uh, videos and uh, podcasts. At your brokerage, wherever you hang your license, unless you're an independent broker, but if you hang your license, they more than likely give educational courses. Uh, at Keller Williams, they do it daily. There's something, you know, so you can learn about the contracts. So you can learn about title. You can learn about escrow. But when I say living the real estate life, that's a dedicated life to learning. You don't get to just go punch your card. You got to do the extra stuff because it's your own little business where you're the CEO. You happen to be the janitor also, but you're in charge. And if you don't know something, you're going to screw somebody up and you're going to get sued. People don't mess around in California. They sue you. Once you get sued, you're not going to want to stay in real estate, especially if you have to come out of your own pocket. Uh, you might not be able to stay in real estate. Um, depending on the offense, they might kick you out of real estate. So what are some mistakes that you've made in real estate? Arrogance. Early on in my career, I remember bought a condo in Aventura, Florida, which is northern Miami. It was beautiful. 12th floor. And it was overlooking a cove. And there were stingrays and dolphins in there. And, it, and across the water was downtown Miami. And it was sweet, right? And I still remember saying, what's the worst that could happen? Appreciation's been 30% a year. All right. Well, a week after I close, Katrina comes over the roof. Then a week or two later, I can't remember when it was, Wilma went back the other way and took the roof off. So my 225 HOA went to 750. That's the first thing. And I don't know if you remember, but that was the start of the plummeting of the market. Ended up losing a hundred grand on that condo. Because of my arrogant words, what's the worst that could happen? Thankfully, most of our, our, yeah, most of my big mistakes have been on myself. That was a good one where God definitely corrects me when I get arrogant. What are some big mistakes that you've seen other people sort of make that could have easily been avoided? Not moving fast enough. People go, Oh, I really, 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 really like that place. I'm going to go home and think about it. Okay, well, if you really, really, really like it in this market, that means somebody else really, really, really likes it. Okay, there's not enough houses for one person just to like one house. There's more buyers than there are houses, and so if you like something, it's a great chance somebody else likes something. Write an offer, people. If you like a house, write an offer. You've got your contingencies where you can get out later but you can't get in if somebody else is already in your house. That's the biggest thing I see is people not moving fast enough or moving scared. And then somebody just comes in, swoops in and takes the house. Another thing you see a lot of times is uh, people not being ready. They find the house of their dreams and they haven't even talked to a lender yet. 
And so you don't know if you can afford it. You don't know what the payment's going to be, if that's out of your budget or not. And you don't know anything about that house uh, to where we can even tell the uh, financial guy, because you don't even have a financial guy yet. Those are big ones. And then uh, for the sellers, overpricing your house because you think it's the Taj Mahal and that you think there's a special value on it because you raise your kids there. It's only valuable to you. You mentioned the mistakes on the you know the buyer side. Now, what about from the agent side? What are some mistakes that you've seen sort of agents make? Uh, well, the biggest one I can recall is I wrote an, a really low ball offer for a client of mine who didn't. He was going to sell his house, but we weren't even on the market yet. He saw a house, man, Jack. I really love this house. I was like, dude, you're not ready. You talk to your lender, but your house isn't on the market, so. You're going to say it's contingent on the sale of your house and you're not even on the market yet. I know, I know. Let's just try. Okay. Went in there. It was, the house was priced at $750. We went in at $700. The seller accepted it. All They countered us title and escrow. And I said, hey, man. And it wasn't a multi-counter, so they were only dealing with us. I told them, right now, sign this. Let me get this to them so we can lock them in. Got it signed, sent it in, got the confirmation back, which means it's official. Um, and then the guy, the other agent tried to come back and say, hey, the seller changed his mind. And I said, no, he did not. We got a piece of paper that says he's in contract. We forced the sale on that. Come, in, come to find out, they had enough, they thought they were signing another offer at the 750. They accidentally signed the wrong contract and sent it to us and the sellers lost fifty thousand dollars on that that's a big loss do you see stuff like that happen all the time or it's sort of rare that's pretty rare and a lot of realtors would allow that because they don't know the contract and not don't know how it works a lot of realtors would have let that guy get out of that that was one of the biggest and ugliest ones i've seen Someone who's looking to enter today, what what does someone need to do to get started? How does someone even get started in real estate? Uh, get your requirements done. Uh, in California, you got to take a couple of classes and there's a long list of the classes you can take. One of them will be real estate principles and then another class. Once you have those completed, then you're able to take your test. Then you take your test. If you pass, then within... Um, you have some other classes you have to take within 18 months of getting it. Um, so it's almost like a probationary period, but not really. And it's not that expensive. You know, for like 500 ish dollars, you can be a licensed realtor in San Diego and California. Um, I don't know what other states go for, but I'm sure they're less expensive. Okay. Now, typically what you've seen is how long does it typically take someone to get comfortable in the industry? Or is that something that almost never happens? Yeah, it keeps changing. So you shouldn't get comfortable. When Once you get comfortable, start looking around because something something's about to change. Now, you can get comfortable with your, with your discipline. You can get comfortable with your routines. You know, I call everybody from 8 to 11 or I door knock or I what whatever your form of lead generation, you can get comfortable with that, but you can't get comfortable with the contract. You can't get comfortable with the way people are responding to you. It used to be you could call people. Now people aren't answering their phones. People would much rather you text them. 
you got to find out how your people want you to communicate with them. And that's going to always change. There's some things that are cool to get comfortable with, like your discipline, your schedule, things like that, to get in a good groove, a good route. But other than that, don't get comfortable. Because if you're comfortable, that means next year you're going to be doing less business, in my opinion. Was there ever a time that you wanted to get out of real estate that you were, for whatever reason, or have you always been like, yes, you know what, I'm staying in? Oh, no, I've, I've been burned out a couple of times. It's, uh, it's a rough, it's rough on your soul, this business. I love it. Don't get me wrong. I love getting in contractual fights and I love representing my people and getting them every nickel and things like that. But there are situations like short sales. I dislike short sales. People dealing with them on either side, the people, since they're not making any money, there's a lot less care about selling the house. They're going through a short sale. They're either depressed and that got them into financial situations where they're going to have to do a short sale. Their financial situations made them depressed. It's very rare when someone's doing a short sale, the seller, and they're not a depressed person and they're not, you know, they're going through something serious because they have to sell their house. They're getting forced to do that. And so that's a situations like that can become a drag. Absolutely. So you mentioned, you know, you almost burned out or you burned out several times. How would someone manage that in real estate? That I don't know. That I don't know. I mean, I've been doing it for like 20 years. And so I'm almost married for that same amount of time. I know sometimes my jokes are not funny to my wife. <laughs> I know she always, I know she loves me. Uh, there's times when she doesn't need me around. I think. I think like if any kind of love affair, which I have with real estate, you know, sometimes you just don't like her. And I don't mean like her, like my wife, because I love my wife, uh, just in case anybody's listening. But how much steak can you eat? I love steak. Yeah, can, I mean, eat it four times a day. Sooner or later, you're going to need a break from steak. I don't have a good answer. How do you avoid burnout? Um, keep loving your job unconditionally. Yeah, just like anything, there are highs and lows. Have you seen people sort of leave the industry after burnout? When realtors leave, a lot of times they're retiring. And so it's not really a burnout. And most of the time when people leave real estate, it's because they're not doing well. They're out after two or three years. So that's that's the majority. If most people that get it cracking, um, it is a good job. You are the boss, even though you have a bunch of other uh, your, all your clients can tell you what to do. Um, if you want to go to the Del Mar Fair, go to the Del Mar Fair. If you want to get drunk in the middle of the day, you could do that. There are definitely perks to it. But the people who I see leave are old as Moses or just really not doing well. Based on what you said, if someone can sort of last the first three years, you can kind of see them staying for a while? Absolutely. Because if they're surviving after three years, that means... They're doing the little things that they're supposed to be doing. They're making their phone calls. They're doing their lead generation. They're doing their follow-up. If they're, if they're living on that, in that three years on real estate, then yeah, they're, they're doing the things that they're supposed to be doing for longevity. What's the typical week looking like? Like how much time are, does, is someone, should someone spend on the phone? How much time 
Should they spend on looking at houses, education? What, what would be a good breakup for someone who wants to be successful? The successful people do a minimum of three hours of lead generation a day. And that's a million different ways to do that. Some people do phone calls. Some people do social media. Some people text. Whatever whatever your thing is, or door knock, or cold call, whatever it is, three hours first thing in the morning. Usually you see people doing it from 8 to 11, 8 to 12. The philosophy behind that is that it's the hardest thing to do, get it done earlier. And it's also your energy is, you're not been beat up by the day yet. You can get through your phone calls or your door knocking, whatever, with at least a smile on your face before the world jumps you at 12. So that's the biggest thing. And then, you know, you're gonna have some sort of education usually every day um, and then appointments and hopefully writing contracts. Okay. So you would say that about like half the day is the lead gen, almost half the day. And then what goes into writing a contract? It's a form, you know, at least in California, it's a form. And most of it, you know, it's all, it's, it's a boilerplate. What goes into your contract is a, first of all, it's a deep conversation with the buyer. How do I represent what you want on this contract? Well, obviously the price is a big deal. Obviously, the close of escrow is a big deal. The type of loan it is, is a big deal. And when the contingencies are in place, now you know where the line is where you can back out and get your deposit back, you know, for proper reasons, but that's your safety net. If you have those things in place, um, and, and of course, there's a bunch of other things that are, you know, does the pool table stay or go or whatever. There's a tons of ways to be creative within the contract. But the big things are price, terms, loan, contingencies. Okay. Let's shift the topic a little. We were talking before and you mentioned that you had a podcast. Can you talk more about that? My podcast, Where People Move, is a double-edged sword for me because I'm a real estate nerd. When my wife and I go on vacation, we go see open houses. Uh, We'll call on realtor signs, you know, how much is that? You know, that's, that's just interesting to me. And the other side of that is there's a lot of people leaving San Diego. There's a lot of people coming into San Diego. There's a lot of, there's just a lot of movement going on. Where People Move is my podcast where I interview real estate professionals in other cities, and it'll either be residential realtors, uh, commercial agents, and vacation real estate professionals, people that will help you into a vacation rental and then um, help you with the renting of it, you know, the marketing of it and all that. Uh, Usually those people are at Picasa. Uh, So I interview these people about, you know, I just did Dallas a couple of weeks ago. What's Dallas all about? What's the median price? Uh, What do people get for that? Which my goodness, in Dallas, they're living for like, 350,000, you get like a 1,700 square foot home that's only a few years old, um, which is, that just blows me away. In San Diego, that's, that's a unicorn. It's all about where people invest, where people move, where people go to um, buy second homes or vacation homes. It's a good time. I, I, I really enjoy that show. And did you do other things before the podcast? Did you ever do radio, any of that stuff? I did. I, I hosted a radio show a million years ago 
back when there was such a thing as radio. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, a lot of things have moved to podcasts just due to the convenience and the way the market's moving. I know you went to school for a little bit and you said you did it several times. Can you talk about that? Yeah, like when I, the college I did, I thought I wanted to be a teacher out of high school, a teacher coach. All my people were football coaches. And so I thought I'd want to do that. You know, you got to have a teacher's heart for that, which I don't. You know, if a kid says whatever, it doesn't bother me, you know, and I don't want to, I don't want to correct them that much where a teacher coach is going to have that passion to correct people. And I just didn't have it. And so after I didn't want to do that, I went to the military, got my GI bill. When I got out, that was mostly what I did with my school is spend my GI money, my GI bill money. And so I got the history of jazz. I got 3D art design. <laughs> you know, I got, I got a lot of, got a lot of really fun classes that I could never make money out of. So you took all these classes. Why didn't you, you know, when did you realize that, you know what, I'm not going to finish because this is not for me? I don't know if I ever had a finish line in the first place. Like I said, when I was back, when I wanted to be a teacher coach, there was a, a end line. But after I decided I didn't want to do that, when I was in college, I, I wasn't going after anything. And so there was no degree to chase. You know, I didn't want, I wasn't going to be an accountant. I'm not going to be, you know, and I could never imagine being in a cubicle or something like that. But I'm not saying I, I would avoid those things, but it was just nothing. I didn't feel attached to anything to go after it. I was really going to school to collect my GI Bill, which they gave you a little bit of money um, every month that you're in school. And so that was my job for a little while there. I was a professional student. Okay, cool. That I mean, that's interesting. So, and then when did you sort of hone in on real estate and stop the school? Well, the school was off and on for a while um, in between uh, military and real estate, but I was bartending up in Los Angeles for a while and was just tired of the bar life, tired of dealing with drunk people and really disliking L.A., and a buddy of mine said, hey, I want to start doing flips. That was it. I moved down to San Diego, started doing flips. And we were working probably 16-hour days, ended up making a dollar an hour. <laughs> you got to start somewhere, right? Absolutely. And we were blessed enough to actually not lose money. That's good. So let's slowly start to wrap things up. You gave a lot of good advice. Is there something else you want to say just about someone who's trying to enter the field or someone who's trying to move up and grow in the field that you haven't said already? Yeah. Don't listen to people that aren't making money. And there's tons and tons of realtors that want to help you. Um, and that, hey, kid, I've been where you've been. Let me help you. See how much they're making. See how many houses they're selling. See what they're doing. Because if they're just yak, yak, yakking, it might be a better person to learn from. Again, there's tons of people in real estate that don't make money. Um, that just hang around the office. No, thank you. That's great advice. So thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. I know the guests have gotten a lot of value out of it. So how would someone sort of get in contact with you? You can call me. Uh, that old-fashioned thing that's connected to your camera is a phone. <laughs> so 
800-800-7449. Probably your best way to text me. Okay, cool. Thank you so much. And is it okay if some people reach out to you on LinkedIn? Absolutely. Link any any form of social media or my YouTube channel where people move. Go check that out. But yeah, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Facebook what? Just your name? Yeah, Jack Rowell. R-O-W-E-L-L. Okay. Cool. So I'll have all those things in the show notes. And like I said, Jack is a good guy to learn from. Watch him. He's had an illustrious career. And I hope you guys have gotten a lot of value out of this episode. So thank you again. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. Extra cool, man. All right. Have a good one. All right, buddy. Thanks. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information is valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics about bias. If you think this show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated, and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect, or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D. Last name, I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. Nodegree.com. Yeah, Talk to so, me. you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem, we can solve We them. got this. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, growing in the knowing. Wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going.